Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you guys with us here today. Last week we celebrated Easter uh, along with the rest of the world and man it was a great Sunday. We had 11 people enter new life in Jesus Christ last Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Come on somebody. That's good man. That's what God did last week and so we're still reeling from that and um, we feel like th- th- this, is, this is a great series for every single one of those people because right now we're on this series called The Road where we're talking about what it looks like to enter into life in Jesus. And so if today is your first time joining us, we're so glad that you're here. You picked the right place to be, the right time to be here. We've been expecting you. This is, a, this is a place where you can come whoever you are and belong before you believe. And at the Gathering Church, we're fixated on next steps because we don't ever want to be in the same place tomorrow that we are today. And so this series is all about next steps. Last week, we talked about life and how Resurrection Sunday means that we don't have to live on the Crucifixion Friday. We don't just have to live in this, in this idea of sin and, and rubble and ruin that we feel like our past lives have left us in. That Jesus conquered death, so that not just so that he would have life, but so that we would have life. And so this week, I want to continue this idea of what it looks like to enter into real life with Jesus. Jesus made a comment in one of, one of the times he was teaching people during his ministry on earth. And Matthew chapter 7, he said in verse 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so we, we want to clarify what that narrow gate is, what that narrow road is. We want to spend this, this few weeks just talking about what that pathway looks like to life in Jesus. In fact, what I want to do over the next three weeks is look at other people from the Bible. We would consider them giants from the Bible, these characters that are larger than life. And I want to look at their lives and look at some, some key things that we can learn from their lives, that we can apply directly into our walk with Jesus, whether we just started it or we've been walking with him for a long time. There's a, a passage in Hebrews where the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and i got to pull it up. I thought, it would, I thought I had it. I didn't have it in my notes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so I, I believe one of the best ways for us to run this race with perseverance, to keep moving in the direction that we should be moving, is to look at the lives of those who've gone before us. I think these folks aren't in the Bible because God wants us to see these unattainable giants that we could never uh, aspire to. I believe that there's these, these stories and these characters and these men and women in the Bible because they're people like you and me who've realized what life in Jesus, what life following God looks like. And I want us to experience the same thing at the gathering. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. Today, I want to talk about Peter. And I want to look at Peter's life and see what we can learn from Peter in those moments shortly after he met Jesus. And maybe this morning we can learn a little bit about what we can do 
after we meet Jesus to move into the next level of our faith in him. I like to go backpacking. Do you guys like to go backpacking? It's kind of a popular thing to do around here in Asheville. Um, it, you know, we live in the mountains and people go backpacking. If you're not familiar with the, with the genre, backpacking is when you put on a backpack and you ing with it. This is a bad joke. I won't tell that one ever again, I promise. And so, uh, you know, it's, you put on all your, all your things are in the backpack and you just go live in the woods for a few days. I, uh, I have a friend who does this, and his version of it is he lives up in upstate New York, and he would go into the Adirondack, and he would just, whatever he was wearing that day, he would grab a sack, like a plastic bag, throw two apples in it, and he would just go out into the Adirondacks for two or three days and then come back. That's not how I would advise going backpacking. However, the first time I went, it wasn't much different. I was 18 years old, and I didn't know anything about backpacking, but I had just received a subscription to something called Backpacker Magazine. And Backpacker Magazine is this magazine with all these incredible pictures of things you can do with a backpack in the mountains. And so me and my college buddies said, you know what? We're going to go backpacking this weekend. And so I bought a backpack and a sleeping bag from Walmart. I happened to have some hiking boots. A bunch of my buddies just bought some Walmart hiking boots. And off we went into the Great Smoky Mountains. Now, uh, one of the things that you have, a challenge that you have to overcome when you go backpacking is you have to drink water a lot because you get very sweaty. And so in order to drink water, there's no, there's no vending machines or water fountains out in the wilderness like that. You have to come up with a way to have water for multiple days at a time. Now, you may be thinking, how does anyone do that? Well, at 18, I had no idea. And so what I did was I got a case of Aquafina water bottles and I dumped the whole thing into my backpack. 16 Aquafina water bottles in a backpack. Uh, my sleeping bag was one of those flannel ones. It was way too big to fit in my bag, so I got a ratchet strap, and I put that sucker around there, and I just ratcheted on down until it got small enough to go in. And then I had to solve the problem, what do you do for food while you're out there for three or four days? And so I got a box of Easy Mac, because I was in college, and that's what I was living on. I threw the whole, didn't even take it out of the box, threw the whole box in the backpack, and I got a loaf of white bread a loaf of white bread, put that in the backpack, and off we went into the woods. It did not go well. We came back the very next day. We called it quits. It was a colossal failure. It was, my pack was 70 pounds. I weighed about a buck 35. So I was like walking like this the whole time. It, it's not advisable. Now, the last time I went backpacking last year, I was there and my pack weighed about 30 pounds. We were out for three days, enjoyed the entire thing, had a blast, had good food to eat. My stomach was full the whole time. Literally just had a wonderful weekend backpacking. Now, if you are going backpacking and you've never been before, the information you need is what happened between that first time with the Aquafina water bottles and that last time with the 30-pound backpack. And what I believe is that when we look at the life of Peter, what we see a man entering into a relationship with Jesus who had absolutely no idea what he was getting into. His, his behavior was brash and erratic. He showed insecurity throughout his time with Jesus. But in the Acts, in the book of Acts, we see a Peter who is bold, who is preaching the gospel to thousands of people, and who is single-handedly one of the people responsible for advancing the church in the first century. 
And if we're entering into a relationship with Jesus and we are to believe that God has a purpose for us, a plan for us, that he wants to use us. We talked last week about Isaiah 61 and how God wants to rebuild the ruins of your life, how he wants to raise you up from the ashes and all these awesome things that he wants to do. And then he wants to use you to do it for others. And if we believe that's true for our lives, then we need to know what happened to Peter between here and here. So let's talk a little bit about Peter's life this morning. Peter uh, was a fisherman like his father before him. And his brother Andrew uh, was a follower of a man named John the Baptist who was a prophet. And he was actually put on this earth to prepare the way for Jesus. And so Andrew had heard all about the coming of Jesus through John the Baptist. And one day, Jesus comes and gets baptized right before Andrew's very eyes. It's so amazing that Andrew leaves the scene and goes to find his brother, Simon Peter, and tells him to come and meet this man, Jesus. And they meet Jesus. And Peter's not all that impressed. He thinks it's cool. And then he goes right back to fishing. We find out in Luke's gospel that just a little time after that, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was very sick, and Jesus came and healed her, restored her back to fullness of life. And then, just a short time after that, Peter would have his third encounter with Jesus, which would change him forever. See, he had been fishing all night and didn't catch a daggum thing. It sounds like every fishing trip I've ever been a part of. And at the end of the night, Peter is feeling discouraged, and he's tired, and he's worn out about it, he's grumpy, and he wants to pull the boat in and go sleep somewhere, but Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, I'm going to get in your boat, let it out a little ways, and I want to teach here. And Jesus teaches this huge crowd of people on the beach using Peter's boat as a stage. And the whole time, I imagine Peter's just sitting there, just kind of fidgeting, thinking, come on, how long is this sermon going to last? Like some of you are right now. And then at the end of that time, Jesus turns around and looks at Peter and says, Peter, put your boat out into deeper water and cast your nets out again. Peter's like, Jesus, I've been fishing here all night. You are clearly not a fisherman. You're a construction worker. Why are you telling me about this? But you know what? I'm going to do it. I've seen, I've seen you, you know, with John the Baptist. I've heard you, you healed someone in my family for posterity's sake. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to bed. And Peter lets the boat out into deeper water. And he drops the net in, and that net is so heavy that it almost tears when he's pulling it back up. There's more fish in the net than he's ever seen in his entire life. And if you're a fisherman, you understand that as soon as he saw all those fish, he said, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I am saved. I am born again. I will follow you. And it says that right there in that moment, Peter said, yes, to following Jesus. In fact, so did all the guys that he was fishing with, his brother Andrew, James, and John, these other fishermen that they were partners with. And in Luke 5.11, it says, they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You've decided to follow Jesus either just last week or earlier this year, or maybe even just a, a short time ago, or maybe it's been a long time now, but you said yes in that meet Jesus in the boat moment. You, you had a time where you understood who he was, where it became clear to you for the first time, and you said yes to following him. Peter, along with his friends and his, his fishing partners, would become one of some of three of Jesus' closest friends, Peter and James and John. 
And they would be side by side with Jesus at every intimate moment of his three-year ministry. They would be right next to him throughout this season of ministry. And it was during that time that we kind of got to see Peter's personality come out and not all the best parts of it. Peter was insecure in who he was. He was a little bit erratic in his decisions. When, when Jesus appeared to all the disciples walking on the water, the rest of the disciples are trying to wrap their mind around it, and Peter just immediately jumps out of the boat to try to walk on water as well to prove his faithfulness to Jesus. There's one time when an event called the Transfiguration took place where Jesus was appearing to a couple of his disciples in all his heavenly glory. And he's standing there talking to both Moses and Elijah. And Peter sees this, and his reaction is, this is awesome, guys. Super glad I'm here. I'll build some tents so you guys can hang out for a while. And Jesus is like, Peter, stop. You're missing the point. And then one time, Jesus is standing there with his disciples, and he, he tells them what he's here for. He discloses his purpose to them, and he says, I'm going to be killed, and then I'll be raised again on the third day. And Peter says, Jesus, not on my watch. That would never, ever happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's like, why are you calling me Satan right now? That seems extreme. But Jesus just wanted to illustrate the importance of what he was trying to communicate. And this whole time, we see this insecurity and this doubt building up in Peter, and it's most clear during the events of the Passion Week, the events of Easter, crucifixion. As Jesus goes to trial, when he's arrested in the garden, Peter pulls a sword out and chops one of the guards' ears off because Jesus had warned them earlier, speaking in, in, in parables, that there would be a time coming soon where they would need swords. And he's trying to illustrate that there was a fight coming in the spiritual realm, but Peter looked around the room and said, well, there's a sword over there and there's a sword over there, and he used one to chop a guy's ear off. And Jesus said, no, 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 Peter, this isn't the time for that. And he put the guy's ear back on like it was Velcro, and then he kept going on about his night. Later that night, Peter would be confronted by three different people. Many of us are familiar with this story. One, even a middle school girl, somebody of no consequence, would come up to Peter and say, weren't you with Jesus? And each time, Peter would deny it, saying, I don't know Jesus. I never met him before. I don't know who you're, who you're talking about. And in his moment of greatest need, Peter abandoned Jesus because he didn't understand what he was saying yes to. He never fully grasped what it was he was signing up for. See, he, he was excited about following Jesus, but everything that came after that was a little bit of a mystery to him. And every time Jesus tried to clarify what it meant to follow him, Peter nodded his head yes, but he didn't understand what it would require. And so even in that night, as he denied Jesus, Jesus would go to the cross, Peter would go hide in fear for his own life. Even just a few days later, when Jesus would be resurrected, just as he said he would do, Peter wasn't at the tomb counting down, which none of the disciples were, but they should have been. Because over and over again, Jesus said, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. And so they should have all been standing there at the tomb that Sunday morning going, 10, 9, 8, 7. But they weren't. They were all hiding in an attic somewhere. And Peter's hiding with them. And he's afraid. And he's worried that people are going to find out who they are or where they're hiding and that they'll be killed too. And he's wondering what comes next. And then Jesus, in his resurrected form, appears to him speaks to him, and he still doesn't know where his place is in all of it. 
He's confused by it. He's excited to have Jesus back from the dead, but, but he just doesn't know what comes next. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you find yourself somewhere similar. You said yes to following Jesus, but you weren't really sure what to do with that. You said yes to following Jesus, but you had no idea what it would cost you. You said yes to following Jesus, but you never understood your next steps. Maybe even last week you heard this great idea that we are meant to be living, not just dead and forgiven. That we're not just meant to sit in the ruins of our mistakes in our lives before and be forgiven in it, but that Jesus came back from the dead so that we might have life. Not just after we die, but right now that we might live in the purpose He's created us with. That we might be used to serve others the way He served us. And maybe you heard that and you got excited about it and you walked out of this place you're like, yes, I got a renewed moment with Jesus. This is great. What do I do now? Wait, what do I do now? And Peter has seen the resurrected King and he's excited, but he's still not sure what comes next. And so he just sitting around with his friends one day. In John 21, chapter 21, verse 2 and 3, it says, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, that Nathaniel, in case you were wondering, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out and fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, yeah, I guess we'll go too. Why not? And so they went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Again, standard fishing experience based off of my life experience. You see, these guys had been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen Him resurrected from the dead. During His teachings and His time on earth, Jesus had prepared them for this, had warned them about this, had tried to give them everything they would need to to thrive after this moment. But when it was all said and done, they just returned to the life they'd had before. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you got involved in church or Maybe you had this moment with Jesus, this initial moment where you understood the importance of forgiveness of sins. Or maybe last week, you, something woke up inside of you saying that there was, there was meant to be more than that. That it's not just about being forgiven, it's about living in this new life. It's about being resurrected from the ruins of my mistakes and walking into new life in Jesus. And you get excited about that, but then you're not really sure what to do next, and so after giving it a a little bit of an effort here and there, you just fell back into the life you had before you met Jesus. And it was that day that Jesus repeated the call that Peter receives in Matthew chapter 5. They'd been out all night fishing, didn't catch a daggum thing. It was just like the last time. And then at the end of the night, this person appears on the shore, and they can't really make out who it is. And he says... Let your nets out on the other side. And these guys, experienced fishermen, grumble a little bit and they say, why not? Throw their nets out on the other side. And the net is so heavy that they can barely pull it back up for fear of the net breaking. More fish than they'd ever seen in their lives. And then they hit him. Peter immediately realizes, this is Jesus. He just did it again. This is the best fisherman I've ever heard of, Jesus. We should have been fishermen the whole time, not this whole ministry stuff. And Peter is so excited that it's Jesus. And he, he, he has a Forrest Gump moment and just jumps out of the boat, just swims to shore. The rest of the guys are like, we'll take the boat in. That would be a better idea. Peter jumps into the water and swims to the shore, embraces Jesus, and 
and, and they have this breakfast moment together. And they sit down for breakfast with one another, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he asks him three very pointed questions. In, in other words, he gives him three opportunities to walk back on every single time that he had denied Jesus. See, three different times Peter said, I don't know him. And three different times, as they're sitting at breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I do. And then he gives him purpose. He gives him calling. He gives him direction. Here's your next step, Peter. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. And Peter has this awakening, this moment with Jesus that would transform him for the rest of everything that we see written down about him in Scripture and even what history tells us. The same Peter that would be afraid of a middle school girl finding out he was with Jesus would be crucified in the same way Jesus was under the Roman government. The same Peter who would be afraid just to admit that he had known Jesus just a a month and a half later would stand up in front of thousands and tell them they were the ones that killed Jesus and they needed to repent. And so we need to know what happened between here and here. And I want to give just some practical application because we see in Acts chapter 2 some very specific things happening in Peter's life that I believe we need to apply to our lives if we want to stop just accepting Jesus and we, st- we want to start living with Him. If we want to stop just saying yes to following Him, but we actually want to get out of the boat and start walking in the pathway to follow Him. If we want to live that way, I feel like there's some really simple and basic practical things we can do, and I want to give you that in just a minute. But first, let's look at Peter. Let's look at what happens after he receives this call. And maybe that was for you. Maybe that's a moment like this one or a moment like last week. Or or maybe it's a conversation you had at Life Group where you sat down and you realized that, yes, you've said yes to following Jesus, but it's not just about saying yes. It's about receiving a calling and following your purpose. And maybe it's now, it's just those next steps are the only thing you're waiting for. And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, he shows us, What's next? You see, all the disciples are sitting around in in a room with a balcony in in Jerusalem. And it said that thousands of people are gathered there just waiting to find out what what, what will happen next. There had been this this big moments with Jesus that had taken place. But then Jesus would be ascending into heaven in front of a lot of people that saw him. And everybody knew that this has happened. The word had spread all over the, the country and the area and The disciples were just in this upper room just waiting for God to tell them what would come next. Jesus told them to wait there. He said he would be sending one after him to give them everything they would need to do what he was calling them to do next. And that is where we see one of the most important events in all of Scripture take place. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Let's look at it. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? All kinds of people with difficult to pronounce countries were talking about this in here. Visitors from Rome is in there as well. Verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? I believe the first thing that we need to do, our, our next step, if we want to enter into the promise that God has for us, if we want to stop just believing in Jesus and we want to start following Jesus, if we want to stop just saying, this is my moment, and start saying, this is what my life looks like, if we want to walk down that narrow road, keep going down that race that he's prepared for us, then I think the first thing we need to do is engage with the Spirit. Engage with the Spirit. Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit through his ministry, kind of giving teasers about what's to come. But in John chapter 14, he describes the Holy Spirit for his disciples, telling them that he was going to leave so that one even better for them could come. He called him the advocate. He said that this counselor, this advocate will be with you and will live inside of you, will be a part of you. All these incredible things. And then in this moment, the Spirit comes to be with humanity. Throughout the rest of Acts, every time we see somebody enter into a relationship with Jesus, it tells us about two baptisms. A water baptism, which is where they kind of join the community of the church. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then a baptism in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. In fact, if you remember Romans 8, 11, that we talked about last week, in our, in our passage about this resurrection power that lives inside of us, it says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. This is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one of those things where a lot of times we enter into a relationship with Jesus and then there's not a lot of talk about it, not a lot of conversation about it. But I believe it's one of the most important things for us to understand, receive, acknowledge, and feed in order to live the life we were created to live, in order to understand Jesus the way that we're meant to understand Him. And so the first thing that we need to do is receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit, just like Peter did on that day, just like the disciples did on that day. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. It's not hard. If you haven't had this moment with Jesus yet where you've, you've accepted this call to follow Him, whenever we invite you into that moment, we always say a little prayer with it. We start it with a conversation, just like any other relationship. A relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God, starts with a conversation. And in that conversation, we ask you to, to, to invite him to come live in your heart. When I was a kid, when I was a little kid growing up in the church, we used to say, did you invite Jesus to come live in your heart? And I believe that that harmless saying, that, that that cutesy little saying, what we're really doing is inviting the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And once you invite the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you, you've got to feed the Holy Spirit. You've got to feed it. You've got to, you've, got to under, you've got to learn how to communicate with the Holy Spirit so that His power and strength can grow inside of you. It's, hard, it's not hard to receive the Spirit. In fact, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse three says, 13 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you received the good news of Jesus, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, when you begin that relationship with Him, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. 
Now, maybe you have had that prayer and you have said that prayer and you feel you've been baptized in the Spirit. You feel like you've entered into a relationship with Jesus, but you don't feel His presence in your life. And then right after this moment with Peter, where he receives the Spirit, he stands up before thousands of people and he speaks this message unlike anything we've heard him say before. And it says 3,000 people got saved. And you read that and you think, Where's, what, what about me? I, I became a Christian and there was, there was no thousands of people to speak to. And honestly, I don't know if I even really feel God's presence in my life. I don't know if I even really feel that I'm connected with this Spirit you're talking about. And I would say that what I feed thrives, and what I starve dies. And so if we really want to grow in the Holy Spirit, we got to feed the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the way we do that is very simple, but it requires discipline. So one of the things, if you've been here a while, you hear me talk about a lot is spiritual disciplines. See, I've got a military background. I spent nine years in the United States Coast Guard. Yes, it is a branch of the military. Thank you for asking. And if that's left me with anything, it's an understanding of discipline and the, and the importance of it. I, I am not naturally a disciplined person, and I won't get into the extent of that story here today. But I am now because I had to learn that skill in order to grow as an adult. And in order to grow the Spirit inside of me, in order to engage with Him, to understand Him, in order to move in my next steps, in order to stop just believing in Jesus, but start living in a life lived next to, uh, under Him, following Him, I had to develop some spiritual disciplines. And so the first spiritual discipline that I would encourage you to develop, if you want to move to the next step in your faith, if you really want to engage the Spirit, is to learn to read your Bible. Isn't that a complicated one? Who saw that one coming? The pastor would encourage us to read our Bibles. No, I really mean it. Read your Bible every single day. I think it's, I think it's crucial. If we want to walk in this relationship with Jesus, if this is new for you or you've been a Christian for a long time, and I meet with people all the time that have been followers of Jesus for a long time, and they'll say, man, I just don't, I feel like my, I've hit a wall, like my, my faith is stale, like I don't, I don't feel him in my life anymore. I don't know if I even, you know, I, I just don't know if, if if he's even with me anymore. I don't feel like a very good Christian. And I always ask him the same question. Well, how much did you read your Bible last week? And the answer is always the same. Well, you know, I, I had the app on my phone, but the battery died and the battery's, the battery's dead like every night. And then also there was like a coffee stain on page 913 in my Bible. And so I couldn't get that open and then there was like a, uh, I was going to, but then, I don't know if you know, Netflix just launched a show called Lost in Space, and it was like super, you know, addicting. And then also, there was like, dinner took forever last week, you know, and so it was like, and there's all these reasons why we don't read our Bible, all these, all these excuses, but it, it's consistently the same answer when people tell me that they feel stale in their faith, they're not engaging their spiritual discipline. And so what I would encourage you is to pick a plan and read it every day. Pick a plan and read it every day. If you have a smart device, whether it's a, a smartphone or an iPad, or maybe you have one of those hologram projectors like in Minority Report, or you have a smart television that you can swipe things on, I don't know what you do at your own house, but if you have some sort of a smart device, you can download the Version Bible app, Y-O-U version. It's free and it's ad-free, and it has over a bajillion plans to study the Bible on it. 
And it's a little overwhelming. And so what I always do, and this is my process, you can do, you can search for two hours if you want, like you're trying to find something new to watch on Netflix. But what I always do is I just pick something off the first page, whatever it suggests for me. I'm like, that's good enough. And I pick it and then I just pick a plan and I read it every day. And so here's my suggestion. And this is very complicated, high theology. If you want to engage the spirit in your life, pick a plan and read it every day. Pick a plan and read it every day. If you want to understand Scripture more and more and know who He is and and what He's called you to, pick a plan and read it every day. Pick a plan and read it every day. How often should you read it every day? Uh, Pastor, what do you think about three days a week? I think you should pick a plan and read it every day. Well, what do you think? what What if I just open up the Bible to wherever the Spirit leads me? I think you should pick a plan and read it every day. Well, but Pastor, what about Saturdays? I think you should pick a plan and read it every day. This is what I think. This is, this is how we grow in our, in our relationship with Jesus. Just pick a plan and read it every day. Uh, find one that you like and just stick with it. If you get the YouVersion Bible app, it'll give you reminders. It'll remind you. It'll be annoying. You'll be like, yeah, I know I didn't read my Bible today. I decided not to. Stop telling me about it, phone. And you can get a reminder to help you develop discipline because discipline is just the repetition of something healthy for us over and over until it's a part of our normal lives. We got to develop discipline. I don't think, I know some of us are free spirits. I'm not. I brush my teeth at 7.23 a.m. every single morning. And if I go to do that and Rail is using the sink, God forbid, I freak out. I lose my mind. She's in there taking her, putting her contacts in. I'm like, your vision is not important. It's 7.23. I must brush my teeth. My schedule is what matters. And this is how I'm wired. Maybe you're not. Maybe you don't even remember the last time you brushed your teeth. It's time to go to the dentist. If that's you, I still think it's important to have the same time that we do this every day because spiritual discipline is the most important discipline in your life. And I think you need to do it regularly and routine and you need to have some sort of routine around it. Okay? This is all my opinions. You don't have to do it that way, but you do need to pick a plan and read it every day. And so if we do that, if we, if we have a time that we do it every day, I'll tell you what I do. Um, I, I'll, take a, I'll take 30 minutes to read my Bible, and I'll keep my journal right next to me. And when I encounter something in the Bible that I don't understand, I write it down. And then I talk to somebody smarter than me later. I, I go ask a, a mentor or a Bible teacher what, what they think that passage means. Or I'll Google it, because Google does know just about everything. And I'll find somebody to lead me and, and disciple me. That's what I would encourage you to do. Just write things down. A journal doesn't have to be a place where you write all your own version of a holy scripture. For me, my journal just helps me to engage with what I'm reading. When something speaks to your life, write down why. Make it as simple as you want to be. I'll come, I'll come back to this. But the more you read God's Word, the more you come to understand it, and ultimately Him. And with any habit, it's not easy to get in at first, but that's why you have to develop discipline and pick a plan and read it every day. Second thing, or third thing, uh, if you receive the Spirit and then you feed the Spirit through Scripture, and this is the most important thing, number three is pray. Is pray. Man, we see the disciples pray all the time. All the time. Something they learned from Jesus. Jesus would pray every single day, no matter how busy ministry got, no matter how how hard his day was, no matter what happened, Jesus would pray every single day. And Peter was there watching and learning from this. And as we see Peter in the book of Acts, a different person, we know that prayer was a part of his daily life. Pray. Because the most important key to a relationship's health is communication. Prayer is communication with the Spirit inside of us. Prayer is communication with the Father who created us. And so I would encourage you to pray. 
Now, if you've not had a healthy prayer life or you've not developed one yet, this is harder than Scripture. There's not a, an easy, repeatable phrase like pick a plan, read it every day. Prayer is about speaking to your Father. It's about opening up your heart to somebody that you can't see, and that can be a little bit challenging at times. That's why I believe we need even more discipline and even more habit around pray, prayer, around prayer. Um, so I would, I would suggest uh, that you put some, some routines around prayer. What I do is I set specific parameters. So if this is brand new for you, maybe that parameter is like 15 minutes. And you just have this 15 minutes every day or 20 minutes, 30 minutes if you're feeling ambitious, every day where you just say, this is my prayer time. And you just go into, uh, I usually like to have a special place in my home that's like my prayer area. It kind of helps prepare me and get my mind in the right place. And, and if you have a place like that in your house or in your office or in your car, then just take that 30 minutes to just say, this is my time for prayer. And whatever that means, that's all I'm going to do in this time. You know, my wife and I, we have a pretty good relationship. Sometimes it's better than others. But I believe that one of the things that defines whether or not we're in a good season of our marriage is how well we're communicating. How well we're communicating, and that depends on how much discipline we've got set up around our communication. You see, we have to be intentional to communicate well. You, maybe you're in this effortless relationship with somebody where you're just constantly telling them everything that's in your heart. I don't know how you work or how your brain operates. I don't know how, how you do that as a person. That's not me. Uh, for me, if I don't have intentional communication discipline set up with my wife, I will never talk about anything other than how good those biscuits were I had the other day or, or what, what I saw out the window. Hey, I saw a squirrel out there. Hey, those were good biscuits the other day, right? Do you remember? Do you remember the biscuits? I'm not very good at it. And so I create intentional communication rhythms for my wife and I. There's three specific times a day where we have face-to-face -face conversation, and I even keep a bullet list in my head. I'm sick like this, of what we're going to talk, different subjects we can talk through. So actually, it's in my phone too, if I'm being honest. If I forget, then I look at my phone and I have a bullet list of conversation topics. And it sounds crazy, but we have, a, we have good communication as a result. I do the same thing in my prayer life. So prayer is a new skill, and so if we're learning to pray, I would encourage you to simply talk to the one who created you. Just say the things you want to say to him. Ask questions. Ask for the things he promises you in Scripture. And the more you read Scripture, the more you'll know what to pray about or how to pray or, or, or what words to say or what he's told you he would do in your life and, and what you can ask for. And this is just food for the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you do this, you engage the Spirit and you will feel the Spirit's power grow within you. You will feel resurrection power increase within you. The more you pray, the stronger the Spirit becomes. You know, Jesus' followers at one point didn't even know how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, they are asking Jesus to literally describe to them how to pray. Jesus, can you give us a step-by-step? -step? And he gives them this template to work through, and it's the template that I use. It's the Lord's Prayer. Now, maybe you grew up with the Lord's Prayer being just a prayer you're supposed to repeat somewhere in a dark room. I don't think that's what it was all about. I think Jesus was using it as a template to teach his followers what prayer looked like. So for me, in my journal, I have worship, uh, ask, confess, forgive, communicate, and worship written down. And I kind of work my way through the list. And I spend a few minutes just worshiping my Father. I say, God, you are so good. Thank you just for the beauty of this day. I wish it was warmer, but I'm grateful for it. 
Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being so powerful and wonderful. And, and I worship for a minute. And then, and then after that, I'll work, it, I'll work my way into asking God for, for things like wisdom and, and, this, and the strength to have a, you know, a three-year-old. And, and the, just all these things. I'll pray over people. I'll pray over requests. And then I'll spend some time um, uh, in confession, talking about the things I, mistakes I've made, forgiving those who I'm mad, mad at, mad about. And then I'll go back into more communication and worship. And listen, sometimes you're going to have three minutes to say in, of things to say in prayer. That's normal. That's how my marriage is sometimes too. Sometimes you're going to have more, more things to say than you have time for. So if you get to those places where you've only got two minutes things to say in prayer, then spend the rest of that time that you've allotted for prayer, just in meditation and in worship. Put on some worship tunes and just calm your mind. Stop thinking about what you got to do today. Just focus on your breathing for a minute and then think about the goodness of God. Just focus on your breathing for a minute and then think about, think about the scripture that you read that day. Then just stop and clear your mind for a minute and then just think about the good things that he's done in your life. Think about the hard moments you've been through and just, just spend some time being quiet just listening. I feel like God speaks to me the most when I have the least to say to him, which is weird because that's also how a conversation works. You ever have, have, you ever have any friends that uh, you, you always want to tell them something, but you never quite get to it because of all the things they want to say? <laughs> Spoiler alert, if you don't have that friend, you are that friend. <laughs> Sometimes we can be like that with God. We just talk and talk and talk. Sometimes he wants to speak to us. It's good to just be quiet and still. Prayer is such an important discipline. Something, it's something if we want to move forward in a relationship with Jesus, if we want to, 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 to be more like the Peter in Acts than in the Peter in the Gospels, then we've got to learn how to pray. We've got to engage these disciplines, engage the Spirit. So that's one of the things we see Peter doing is engaging the Spirit. And I believe that's a, that's a huge thing for us when we're entering into an active relationship with Jesus. If we want to move from death to life and we really want to do it, I think that these disciplines are one of the most important things to get us there. The other thing that I see in Acts and in the church and what we see in Peter's life here is we've got to engage community. Engage community. And this is it. I've got a couple things here and then we're all done this morning. But listen. If you want to engage in a relationship with Jesus, and if you really want to grow to experience the life that he's created you to live, and you really want to know that you've got a purpose, and you want to live in that purpose, and you really want to find freedom from all the mistakes and the hurts and the hang-ups that you've came into this relationship with, if you want to do all that, I believe community is an essential part of it. Right after Peter has this great message where people enter into a first-time relationship with Jesus, he goes right from there, from that, from that moment, into leading the church, into what it would become in the first century. And so right after that story of Peter preaching, we get Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, which describes what he did next. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church took off because of the authentic community people were experiencing in life following Jesus and engaging the Spirit. See, I think if we really want to 
be serious about this and we want to go all in, we've got to engage with community, real life-giving community. See, you were made for others. You were made to, to have people come alongside you. It's why loneliness is so pervasive in our culture. It's why it's, why it's, a, it's a, such a shared experience of humanity. Because we weren't meant to go through life alone. You weren't meant to handle your struggles alone. You weren't meant to go through your celebrations alone. You were meant to have people linked arm in arm beside you. The church, the whole dream for the church, the plan that Jesus came up with and the apostles executed was for us to go through this life together. Side by side, the church isn't about coming in a room like this and just listening to somebody teach. It's about what you do next. It's about the way you gather up in circles, not in rows. It's the way you engage with the people of the church, not how you engage with the message of the church. And so what I would encourage you to do is engage in community. A couple simple, quick ways you can do that. First, get baptized, water baptized. Get water baptized. Water baptism is not a a, a way for us to get saved. It's a way for us to symbolize entering a larger community. It lets our friends and our family know that we have been buried with him in death and raised with him in life. It's a way to say, I have made this decision to follow Jesus, and I am a part of this family. I believe it's important for us to be baptized. It's one of the commands Jesus gave us. It's one of the first things he did when he entered into ministry. And the disciples, anytime somebody would enter into new life in Jesus, would take them to the river and dunk them in it. Give them that baptism water. If you've been baptized when you were a baby or when you were nine and it didn't mean anything and you just haven't done it yet, I think it's important to get baptized. It's a way of engaging your community. If you've given your life to Jesus recently, I think it's important to get baptized. It's a way of engaging your community. We're doing baptisms next week. If that's your next step, let us know. We want to celebrate that with you. Second thing that we can do is join the dream team. Join the dream team. I think it's important for us to stop just going to church and start being the church. I think, I think it's, it's, it's important for us to engage community by linking arms with others and bringing the life we've been given to other people in our community. To say, I'm not just going to receive from it, I'm going to give back. I'm going to be a part of it. Get off the sidelines and get in the game with us. Come into this place on Sunday and help us lead others to know God by joining the dream team, and I believe through that you will begin to find freedom. I was talking to a friend this week, and, and they, they, said, they made the remark to me that, man, it feels like everybody who's got a lot of friends at the gathering is on the dream team, and I'm just trying to figure out how I'm supposed to make friends if I'm not on the dream team. And I thought, well, I didn't thought, I said, I kind of leaned, and I said, well, have you thought about joining the dream team? Have you, <laughs> have you thought about, uh, you know, I don't know, joining the dream team? The way everybody else is making some close relationships, because there's something special about when we link arms with one another, when we work together, when we serve alongside one another that builds relationships. Being on the dream team isn't just about making coffee. It's about who you're making coffee with. It's about the people you're serving alongside. If you want to engage deeper community and really start to grow and move in your faith, come join us. Get alongside it with us. Church isn't about what I do. Church is about what we do. It's not about how I serve the community. It's about how we serve the community. Be a part of it with us. Join the dream team. In fact, you can come to Growth Track today, Growth Track Step 2, right after this service. And in Step 2, we just talk about you and where you fit. We don't want to just plug you in somewhere that we have a need. We want to, 
We want to lead you to serve somewhere you were created to serve. Someplace you're going to love. We want you to have fun while you're doing it. That's one of the keys to the dream team. Is that you love what you're doing. If you're new in this relationship with Jesus. Or you're just saying for, for the first time maybe. I'm going all in. One of the best ways you can do it is to serve alongside his church. To have an impact in the lives of others. Alongside the local church. And then finally. I'd encourage you to engage community through life groups. Join a life group. Join a life group. Our, our current life, life group semester is about to end, which means just on the other side of that, there's a brand new one coming. Just a few weeks, brand new life groups will be starting up, a new way to get engaged in community, a fresh start, or a way to continue with old friends, depending on where you're at. But I'd encourage you to start living life like those apostles were doing and like those new believers were doing at the end of Acts chapter 2 to let your life look more like Peter's life from Acts chapter 2 on than it does in the Gospels. We don't want to see an insecure Christian. We want to see somebody who is a force for the Gospel, serving Him, understanding Him, knowing Him, confident in who you created to be. In a life groups, we get to grow from one another, to learn from one another. It's a place to go and take the mask off and just be who you are, to be authentic, to be real and vulnerable with one another. To let other people know that you're, you're having a hard time or that you're not so sure about this and that. And then just to be filled up by one another. Sometimes we, we don't have all the answers. Sometimes you go to life group and you've got all these questions and all these problems and nobody else has any answers. But sometimes it feels good just for people to say, yeah, I get it. I'm there with you too. Let's do this together. Let's walk through this together. If you need that this morning, I encourage you to join a life group. And if you don't know that you need it, I encourage you to join a life group and find out that you do. Engage community. See, we're fixated on next steps here at The Gathering for a reason. Because if we stay in one place, we get frustrated. We stay in one place, ultimately, we just end up going back to where we were before. We turn around despite everything and we just go right back to fishing. We just find ourselves in the same places with the same hurts and the same habits and the same frustrations as before. No, if you want to move forward, if you want to live the life you were made to live, if you want to experience the purpose that you were created with, you got to keep taking next steps. You got to keep moving forward. You got to keep saying yes to something different, something new. You got to engage with something bigger than yourself. And when we do that, I believe we'll experience life greater than anything we've ever imagined before. I know we'll have struggles. I know there'll be challenges. I know we'll suffer some, but I know that through it, we'll experience greater life than anything we've ever imagined. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are and, and what you've done for us, God. I thank you for the way you've, you've changed my life, God. I thank you for calling me, Father, and, and for giving me a second calling and for the grace you've given me, for the chances you've given me. And Father, I thank you for the purpose you've given me. I just ask that you'd increase in me, God. Father, I pray for every person in this room that, that, that is wondering what their next steps are this morning, that, God, you would make that clear. That if our next step is just to start engaging with your spirit, that, Father, you would, you would make a way for us, that you would show us in our schedules what we can move or delete or what needs to change to make time for it, God. That you would, that you would make those first meetings with you just a little bit supernaturally easy so that we can develop a habit, Lord. God, I, I ask if our next step is community that you would show us where, Father, 
that you'd put the right people in our lives to show us that it's worth it, that, that being vulnerable, that exposing our ugly is worth it, that God, you would just, that you would just move through the church in their lives, God. We love you so much. Be glorified in everything we are. Be glorified in all of our, our lives, Father God. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.